Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. This is our final broadcast of 2022, and we use the show to share some of the lessons learned from female leaders about leadership. From Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutali Nalumango, the CEO of Clicks, Bettina Engelbrecht, and the CEO of Anglo-American Platinum, Natasha Vulguin. Our first guest in this feature is the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Mutale Nalumango, who is also the Vice President of Zambia's ruling party, the United Party for National Development. Vice President Nalumango shares how her life path has been navigated by the drive to fight all forms of injustice, whether it be social inequity, poverty alleviation, access to justice, and empowering women to occupy their rightful spaces. She also reaffirms that education is the greatest equalizer and reminds those that think education is too expensive to consider the cost of ignorance. Vice President, your career has traversed several spheres of society, from education to politics. You've served as Minister of Information and Broadcasting, and now you're the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia. So starting with the political front, there are less than a handful of female presidents and vice presidents in the African continent. When did you realize that politics and serving your country would be such an integral part of your life? Thank you very much, Amelia. I can't answer that. It's very difficult for me to tell. When did I realize? Um, I think it, it, it comes without me having fully planned, but realizing is when I felt the call upon my heart. You know, the call upon my heart was literally, to say the truth, was a call to justice. The Injustice of humanity, not humanity, of humanity is what drove me, has driven me all the way, like you have said, from a teacher, you know, to a politician. Indeed, I thank God that I've had to run this race with the support of God Almighty and people around me. But to realize it's a daily thing. Every day I wake up, I realize I have a call of duty to ensure in my little space there is justice. But you know, justice is such a vast thing. It comes in so many ways. And it is because of that, like you have said, that after being a teacher, let me tell you a little background. After being a proper villager, you understand real village life, walking without shoes, sleeping on a mat, or sometimes even a mat is better, on a sack. And I became a teacher. One of the injustices that I see is the inequity, inequity in society. Basically, this was the basic injustice that drove me all the way. That as a teacher, I became a unionist because I thought something was wrong there. There should be some equity in the distribution of resources, whether it is in terms of wages or in others. So this is what drove me. And I'm not driven from outside. That's the problem. I'm driven from inside. So when people say, how did you come into politics? What drives you? I'm driven from within. I hate injustice. 
and I, I call this echo upon my life. So this is what I realize and I realize throughout is not to know that I'll be this or I'll do this, is to realize that my duty is to fight injustice wherever I am. Whatever effort I should put in is to fight injustice, to have the world indeed a little fairer than it is. So this is what I know about myself. And this is how I've come this way and reaching this far. Vice President, our program, Womanity, Women in Unity, is all about gender equality. And naturally, our conversation will highlight some important issues on this topic. Women occupying positions in government and serving as heads of state is significant for a number of reasons, whether that's about demonstrating the power of women in governance, that showcasing these women in their respective positions, they serve as role models for other women. Thirdly, gender representation is important in policy development as well as policy implementation. As a female leader, please, can you share some of your perspectives on the subject? It is critically important that we look at gender equity. It is very, very important. You know what I think of a woman? And I like your program, you say humanity. I would like to say this indeed humanity is a man with an extra. That's what I say myself. We are extra and therefore we carry humanity. And developing a woman is developing the world. I think people have many sayings around this issue. And anybody who is playing with failure to be inclusive to women does not truly have love for humanity because as women, we carry humanity. And therefore, when we are given an opportunity to be in these positions you are talking about, we should use every effort to improve, to help, to bring in more women on board. Women are different. You know, I read somewhere, a woman is a different type of a leader. He is a shepherd. And I believe it. The shepherd goes before the sheep. We feel every bit of society. We feel every bit of human being. We feel for the man. We feel for the woman. We feel for the children. We feel for the youth. And therefore, this issue, the SDG number five, must be taken extremely seriously by this generation. Somebody made an analysis that in this COVID-19 era, nations that are led by women did far much better. So to occupy this a position like this one I'm occupying must be taken seriously. Let us work together like your program says, humanity, all women must come together to be role models when we are in these positions that others would be able to say, I can do it. She did it. We are doing it because there were people who went before us. Those that were food finders, against all odds, they fought and they reached it there. So we need, when we are given this opportunity, to really work hard and encourage other people to know that the sky is the limit. Those are some very uplifting statements. Thinking about the view of empowering a woman, The world over, we know that education is a skill as well as a resource which contributes to women's empowerment. 
and not just for themselves, but also for the betterment of the lives of their families, whether it's from increased earnings to improving the health and well-being. You began your career in the education system as a teacher and then moved into the political space. Can you share with us some of your views on education, particularly as a tool in the hands of women to change their lives as well as their children's? Amelia, where do you think I would be? I've given you a little bit of my background without education. I would be in that village. I would probably still be sleeping on a reed mat. So education is extremely important for me as a person, for my government, my president, I can tell you about Zambia. We believe that education is the greatest equalizer. Uh, I tell people my story. Like when I was growing up, there was Kaunda. Kaunda was like, God, like you can never ever be near Kaunda. But Kaunda did one thing. He gave us free education in this country. Because from where I come from, I would not have made it into where I am. But there was that free education. And because of that, I tell people, I was telling Panji, Panji is the firstborn of President Kaunda. And recently we were together, I was saying, oh, finally you, the son of the president, I can sit with you and you probably stand for me. Can you imagine how sweet therefore education is? It is extremely empowering, greatest equalizer. Yes, somebody said, if you say education is too expensive, try ignorance. Because today, like you have said, Amelia, doctor, what you have said is so true. Same food given to a mother who has gone to school and a mother who has not gone to school. The difference will be seen in the way they look after their children, in the way they feed, because of that little extra. Just that education makes a lot of change, change in the perception of things. Education is extremely empowering. You are talking of looking, looking after children because you don't understand certain things. You may expose even your children to more disease. And if there is more disease, then the hospitals, health system gets overwhelmed and the children suffer. Why not spend on education? There is just so much in education. And I'll tell you, training as a teacher, doctor, is one of the best things I've never regretted. I taught 27, 25 years. Wow. You must have some incredible stories, success stories oh. of children. Oh, yeah. That is uh, the best thing when you see children and children prosper. I came across a quote attributed to you where you stated, challenges facing women are the same in many parts of the world. The key is to unite as a force against all sorts of gender injustices. So as we close out our conversation today, please, can you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women in Africa who are listening to the show? Wow, unity. Indeed, thank you for reminding me of that. I can't remember. But that is very important that we need to unite as women and fight collectively. We don't have to fight physically, but it is fighting all these things that draw us backwards. We have to challenge those things 
that draw us backwards when we know they actually have no impact, a positive impact on our lives. So as women, we need really to remain focused, to know ourselves. I'll repeat that it is for the women to know and feel important. I'll say one thing I said, don't carry your womanhood like it makes you an inferior person. Womanhood actually makes you a superior person. Nobody should intimidate you. Nobody should use you as a tool. You are complete. Make your own choices. Don't let your choices depend on other people. We are equally made by God. And we have the capability. Girl, rise up wherever you are. The presenter said, the sky is the limit. You can break the glass in your own space and make it in corporate, in political, in administration. Everything is open for us in Africa. Let us move and fight the injustice that discriminates against us. God made us equal. Thank you very much for that wonderful message. And you are absolutely living proof of that sentiment. That was the Vice President of the Republic of Zambia, Muchale Nalamango. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. There is an underrepresentation of female CEOs on listed companies in South Africa, but the women who hold these posts have a great sense of purpose to demonstrate that female CEOs are tremendous assets to any organization. And they realize through mentorship, more women will be able to rise to the top of corporate hierarchies. Our next guest is the CEO of the Clicks Group, Bettina Engelbrecht. She sees the role of leaders as removing obstacles that stand in the way of people's performance, providing the resources for people to do their jobs well, and motivating them to derive solutions for themselves. On the topic of education, Ms. Engelbrecht notes that education empowers people and is a way of reaffirming and building confidence. Furthermore, when a girl child is educated, her life and that of her families changes for the better. During your career, you've occupied several operational as well as senior leadership positions with both local and multinational entities, Clicks, obviously, Shell, Sea Harvest, South African Airways, and you also worked at Transnet. Can you tell us about some of the gender challenges that you've experienced and overcome during your career? I can remember when I was uh, working for Sea Harvest and we had this boardroom. And I think I'd said to you earlier that uh, Nick Dennis was a member of our board. I mean, he chaired the board, actually. And when you're a female, and because we are often so helpful, and I got up at one of the very first meetings that he and I were both in the meeting, and I got up to kind of go and get the tea ready. And he said to me, not you. I'm going to do that because what I want you to think about for a moment is that you mustn't automatically go to where you're expected to go. He said, as the chairman of this board and as the chairman of the holding company, I'm going to practice service leadership and I'm going to show you a different way that you can show up. And from him, I learned a very important lesson. Sometimes as women, we automatically go to the place that we've almost been acculturated to. Like, you know, what is it that you've got to do to constantly serve? Nothing wrong with that. 
The difficulty is that sometimes people interpret that as that you are servile and don't necessarily think of you then as a contributor. The second bit is a lesson that I learned really from two of my previous CEOs. Louis Penzon was the um, my head at um, Sea Harvest. In fact, even Dr. Benny Mokaba at Shell, but David Neal here as well. And that is about that you've got a voice. So very often as um, women, some of the challenges that we face is how do we cut into a discussion? What are those bridging phrases that we've got to use? How do we talk? Um, how do we show up in that meeting? How do we have our voice heard in that meeting? And sometimes you start off with a very little <laughs> low-level voice. I often find that women will say, sorry, it's like we apologize for making a contribution. Correct. No, you are so, so right. And, and I think it's about giving yourself permission because most of the time when we are sitting in those meetings and someone else is making a statement or a question or a comment, we hear it in our own heads and we realize, but I was thinking that same thing. I was just too slow to get to the point. So a valuable lesson that I've learned is really the quality of your preparation before the meeting to make little notes for yourself in terms of questions that you want to ask. And so that when you've gone through, you know, the meeting, you say, well, you know, there are a couple of questions or there are a couple of comments that I would just like to add to this particular discussion point. And so quality of preparation just enables you to perhaps be a bit more um, confident about making your points and, and, and having your voice heard within the meeting room itself. I want to ask you from your perspective, you've got a lot of experience in HR. You've also got your legal background what would you say are, are some of your go-to leadership strategies? First and foremost, I believe that everybody wants to do well. That's a basic belief that I've got. And so the role of the leader is to remove obstacles that stands in the way of the person achieving that aspiration of always doing their best. It's about encouraging them. And really, I mean, I was brought up in the Socratic method where my father never gave us the answers. You know, it was through the inquiring question that you were led to the answer. And so I believe very, very firmly that if you've got functional expertise within your organization, that you've got to understand the right questions to ask them so that they come up with the solutions themselves. So an, a, a really firm belief that people want to do well, a very firm belief that the role of the leader is to ensure that you're removing the obstacles, that you motivate people, and that you ensure that, that they are provided with the resources in order for them to do their job well. I must say as well, I'm, I'm straightforward. I don't think anybody needs to wonder where it is that they stand with me, but I'll do it with kindness because I've always had a belief in everything that I do. I have to see in my engagements with the person sitting opposite me as though this were my mother or my sister or my brother. And so when I reflect on how did I treat people, even when it's a tough conversation about exiting an, an individual, how do you maintain dignity for that individual and respect for that individual through the process? And so I have, for, for example, found that there have been many people that I've exited. I've maintained relationships with them. And to me, that's the surest example that people have understood that it is never personal, that it is always ultimately about what's in the best interest of the organization and in the interest of that individual. Because sometimes people are just not in the right job or within the right organization. Given all of your experiences across both local, multinational organizations, 
What are some of your views about how we can improve the number of women in decision-making roles? So I think that's an interesting statistic. So let's just look at the differences quickly because I think that's where my answer is going to go to. When you look at it, you'll see greater representation of CFO women than CEO women. So, you know, what's that reason? First of all, there's an objective um, professional registration for CFOs, you know, to become chartered accountants. So first of all, the issue of does the person have the skill that question no longer applies, actually, if you're a CA, because you've got a professional body that ensures that the standards are all met. The second thing around that is I think that there's a very clear path for women within the CFO um, route, if you will, in terms of career progression. So the first I will say is make sure that you've got a quality education. The second bit is make sure that wherever you're going to be going in your first, second and third jobs, that those are reputable companies. Because very often you find yourself in a company that you really wish were not on your CV. Now, let's come to CEOs. In South Africa, and why I start with the CFOs, many um, CEOs are coming from the CFO career path. So that actually augurs very well for the women that are already CFOs in organizations, because I think that they will almost have an easier path to the CFO the CEO job than someone like myself has had. The second one that I was going to say is that women must put up their hand for projects. They must, uh, I think, within organizations, be willing to move sideways. Sometimes don't just stay within your functional area. Um, the other one that I was going to say is that in my career, even though I've been in HR for most of the time, actually I've had such varied projects that I've worked on that builds your skill set. So skills sets aren't just built or competencies in a linear fashion. You know, I go from one level to the other level. Look at broadening your competency set. Look at adding value. So that's that's probably what I what I would have said. I, I also would have said if you looked at us a year ago, we were less than three. When I looked at it, um, I think June month we were already five. You know, so you could almost say there's been a tremendous improvement. And I think that the more of us that there are, the more we provide we provide a signal, if you will, that if we really are successful, and I and I speak to my fellow CEOs from time to time that are female, and we've got this great uh, sense of purpose of being successful, but doing so in a way that is supportive and doesn't denigrate other people. Because we've got this view that says we understand that we are here to represent, that women can do the work. And so we almost have this purpose to really be great at what it is that we're doing, to be able to show that the woman CEO can be a tremendous asset to any organization. So I think that the progress has been incredibly slow, but now for the first time, you actually see at the listed company level that there are female CEOs being appointed, and that's going to create tremendous, I think, opportunities for other women to follow in our suite. suit. Lastly, as we close out the discussion, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation with women who are listening to us? I was um, reflecting as I was driving the other day and I had this thing about, you know, wow, about all of us are women of worth. We actually human beings of worth. And so we really have to believe in ourselves. First and foremost, you know, it's the thing that I would say. 
The second one that I would say is that wherever we are, if we can be kind and supportive of someone else, when we have got no benefit that we can realize from that, I can assure you that will come back in different ways in your future. When you are least expecting it, somebody will come forward and they will help you when you need the help the most. And then I would say, you know, just I I have always, all of us have got uh, extra funds. I mean, at the kind of level where I am at, I have over many years always donated my money um, that I've got for the education of girl children. Uh, and I really take them from grade uh, 10 to grade 12, because that's so important. If you can get girl children at that age to really have a sense of where they want to go one day. So can I just encourage all senior women that are listening to your program, Amalaya, if you've got anything extra, invest in a girl child. Because when we're investing in a girl child, we are building a community of women who will be there for their families and that will show that in their families, there's a different way of being. When you when you are changing the life of a girl child, I firmly believe you are changing the life of a family. That was the CEO of the Clicks Group, Bettina Engelbrecht. We welcome your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Our last guest today is the CEO of Anglo-American Platinum, Natasha Villeneuve who also sits on the Anglo-American Platinum Board and the Group Management Committee of Anglo-American PLC. She reflects on some of the factors that led to her career in mining, from getting the smell of the place as a child going on site trips with her dad, who worked on gold mines, and drawing on this energy, to developing a love of science and maths, which fueled her interest in a technical career, specifically mining. She notes that women introduce different perspectives, which in turn reshapes the workplace, contributes to diversity and innovation. Your career has spanned several countries addressing mining of minerals, metals, as well as platinum group metals, which are used in many industrial processes, technologies, and commercial applications. I always find that our present is defined by our past, and we can have targeted career steps. There are occasional detours. There are environmental circumstances. We spoke COVID briefly, and which has really affected us for the last two years. They're all factors of influence. Your whole career has been spent in the mining sector. Please, can you tell us what attracted you to this industry? Um, Amelia, as you rightfully say, the, um, there's so many influences in, um, in your life. And I think the first big influence in my life was certainly my parents and my father, who worked as a hoist driver um, in the northwest province in a gold mine. And growing up, I had many opportunities to spend some time with him accompanying to work and really get, I often talk about the smell of the place, um, a little bit of the ore coming out from underground. And I think there's an energy that, um, that stayed with me in those visits that really interested me um, tremendously. The fact that I loved math and science at school, also that technical side really um, triggered my interest 
in um, in a more technical career and with that mining presence and opportunities, obviously, um, bringing them together. Um, I think there's been, through my career, many other influences, and I think there's so many people that I should be grateful for in giving me opportunities through those, um, through the period of time. Um, there are, in my, my family and my husband specifically played a big, very big role in influencing how I look at my career and how I balance being a mother and a wife with being having a professional career, but equally had some um, key mentors in, in, my, in my life. And I feel truly privileged um, to then get to a point of being appointed a CEO of Anglo-American Platinum, where I have the opportunity to lead and work with some of the most talented and resilient people. And those are, they are probably some of the most influential people in my life. Early on in my career, my father told me, just after I finished my engineering degree, that do not think you know anything. You go and learn from the people who do the work on a daily basis. And those people continue to be the, the driving force for what I do and being the biggest influences um, in my career. Last year, PwC published a report on remuneration of executive directors, which I found incredibly shocking in, in the results. There was almost a 50% gap between median and upper quartiles. But then the point which I would say probably impacted on me the most was the fact that there were only 13% of executive directors classified as either CEOs or CFOs of being women. And I, I think, quite frankly, that that's alarming. What are some of your perspectives on how we can improve the number of women in decision-making roles at, at large corporates? Mm. I think um, a very valid question. And when... We, uh, um, Amalia, we, for starters, have targets to help us drive and focus um, with career development for women in the workplace. So it's a, a topic that we often um, discuss. And if I look at my own career, there are pivotal points in, that, in my career, and it was typically around when you have small children in the house or where you have interesting um, family dynamics that you need to manoeuvre through. And... I were privileged enough to have a real good support system around me because very often those phases in your, um, in your personal life coincides with big growth phases in your career. And I've seen often how women then without the necessary support leave the workplace and never have the opportunity to step back either because they feel they don't have the confidence to step out to step back, life has moved on, or they just don't have the opportunities to, um, in, in job opportunities to step back. So as companies, supporting women in that critical phases of how we balance between personal life and career development is really important. I think we start to see a shift in a balance between um, in, in partnerships, in, um, in, in personal partnerships between what partners do to support each other in, in careers. But I think as, as business, we cannot just assume that that would be present. And we need to look at ways to help women to get back into the workplace or to help them in a way to um, continue to develop their career. 
we're not very good at this um, in, in, in our workplace, but in a previous role, what we have done is to allow women when they go on maternity leave to come back in um, role share kind of roles to allow them to come back part-time and really step through that, that early phases without losing um, um, an opportunity to continue to grow and, and learn. I wanted to ask you about some of the factors that you consider have contributed to your personal success. Some of our guests have spoken about values, uh, faith, uh, a particular person. Um, someone once spoke about the fear of failure as, as being drivers to their success. So could you share with us a few of the, the key drivers to your success? Um, I can absolutely resonate with the fear of failure. Early on in my career, I had an inherent fear of failure, which I believe drove me to work harder than anybody else, to, to be successful, to complete work and to complete it within the, um, the necessary timeframes or targets, um, targets set. Um, as I continued in my career, though, somebody once um, said to me, it was a coach who said to me, it feels like you've got concrete on your feet. And I think it was all based in the fact, uh, based in this inherent fear of failure that whilst it drove me, it, um, it didn't necessarily give me the opportunity to be curious as much as I could be and to learn as much as I could. And the moment that I accepted that, the more I do, the more I will make mistakes. Um, the freer I felt, um, and I believe the more impact I made in the in the end of the day. That was certainly one of the aspects. The other one is to, whilst you recognize who you are and being true to yourself, I think an important factor is to set yourself up for success. Um, and again, I've mentioned my husband earlier on. He is probably the biggest fan I have in this world. And there's no problem in the, our career, in my career, that might have an impact on our family that we have not resolved together in some way or form. But we took the time to set it up. We took the time to make sure that when we had children, that our children were always looked after in a way that balance the accountability that I have with work, but also the responsibility to develop young adults and, and send people into the world who can really make an impact and not be um, a deterioration on civilization. So taking time, spending the resources to set that up is really important. Um, and then to continue to build a network of people around you who are always more clever than you are. I've worked and still working with some of the most brilliant minds um, in the mining industry. And I think it's really important to mention names like um, Tony O'Neill, our technical director, who pushes thinking into a realm that I've on my own, I will never be able to do. He's pushed me to think so differently around mining and the impact we can make on mining and how from mining being an extractive um, industry to think about mining as a value creation and making lives better kind of environment. 
And having people like that, identifying people like that in your career to help to push your boundaries and your thinking is a crucial part of that. And I think Tony O'Neill was certainly one of those individuals that's just absolutely mind-boggling. And he will always be at least three steps ahead of me. Thanks for sharing. Those are fantastic um, views of contributing factors to success and What I always appreciate about this question is that everybody has got a a different view. No one's got the same recipe. And if I might add, I think that's so important because we are all different. And I very often say this when I talk to young ladies or young professionals. Learn what you can or take comfort or inspiration, um, if you can, from my life story. But that's my story. It's not yours. It doesn't mean that's what it's going to take for you to be successful. Your journey is your own. But I think it's important to recognize that you're not on your own on that journey, that there are people around you. There are people in life who want you to be successful and actually you can where we can all learn from their experience. And take those lessons to heart, use them, remember them, and as you say, forge your your own path and your own journey. That was the CEO of Anglo-American Platinum, Natasha Vuyun. We hope that this selection of leaders inspires you to own your journey. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. Best wishes for the festive season. Be safe.